0: Marriage on a Tightrope supports couples in strengthening their mixed faith marriage.
1: Visit tightropemarriage.org to make a recurring donation and learn more about the mixed faith community. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. This is Alan, and I'm just here to introduce an interview that Katie and I held recently with our good friend Jeff. Uh, Jeff is actually the host of a faithful podcast called This Week in Mormons which you can find at com or on Facebook, This Week in Mormons. Uh, great content. They've, they're have they up in the 414th episode, probably more by now, but our episode was number 414, so he's been doing it for quite a while. Almost 10 years ago, I was actually a guest host uh, with him. I don't recall a single thing that was talked about, but this was probably an in- the first thirty episodes or so, uh, within that first year that I, I I joined him a long time ago, we were actually missionary companions together in Barcelona, Spain. We both went on to podcasting ways. And before we get to the episode, just wanted to ask for your support. If you're in a position to make a donation to Mormon Discussions, that would be greatly appreciated. Many people, and myself included, get a lot out of a lot out of the podcast lineup at at Mormon Discussions, and. Specifically, if marriage on a tightrope is a help to you and your spouse, has helped you communicate better, uh, it would be greatly appreciated to, to help the site running and to help bring you great content. Other than that, I'd say just join us on the Facebook group, Marriage on a Tightrope Podcast, a Facebook group also on Instagram, Marriage on a Tightrope, and uh, send us an email, marriage on a tightrope at gmail.com, if you would like to chat. Thanks so much and enjoy the interview.
2: Mounts, what's up?
0: Hey, Hi. Jeff.
1: So good to see you
2: and hear you. And you, buddy, and you. Uh, It's great to see you guys. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us this week. If you wouldn't mind, just take a few minutes and introduce yourselves.
0: Okay. Uh, So we're Alan and Katie Mount. I'm Alan. uh, Oh,
1: yeah. No. Just just I don't know, it's Utah. You never know who's going to be named <laughs> Katie or Brooklyn or what.
0: I am catty because it's two T's, so.
2: It is funny you both actually have double consonants
1: on your name
0: where we many do. others
2: don't. We do. We have do. you ever talked about that before? Or did I just break new ground no. in a relationship?
1: In that order too. I have got an A consonant consonant A and she has an A consonant consonant I. I. <laughs> <laughs> this is We're starting out with the most intriguing of of the stories. This is going to be a
0: great interview. Uh, So Alan and Katie Mount, we live in Murray, Utah. Uh, We are married almost 15 years.
1: 15 years this year.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And we've got four kids, um, ages 12, 11, 6, and 5. And um, Alan works full-time for a software company and... Currently, I am home full-time.
1: Isn't that exciting? (laughs)
2: And you left her so you could go to spring training games. Just to be clear. Just to be clear, I left
1: her alone with four children to go watch baseball for five days.
2: I don't want to do like a heroes and villains thing here, but I'm just... (laughs) We're
0: setting
1: ourselves up pretty good here, even at the
2: get-go. To
0: be fair, I've been to Disneyland four times um, over the past year with each kid, so...
1: Like, individually?
0: Yeah. I take one, one kid at a time yeah, cool. for their birthday, and we go to Disneyland. And so Alan was a good sport about that. And So
1: I think if you add the days up, I'm still behind by a couple.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have any kids with you. Oh. <laughs> Let's
1: not get into the particulars. <laughs> All right. So uh, where, did, uh, where did you two meet? What's your story of romance? Oh, the romance How- story. So we actually met on May 8th. 2002, you may have, you may be asking, Alan, how do you remember the date? Well, that was another significant date for us. That was also the first day of the Missionary Training Center experience for us. So dun, we dun,
0: dun, met
1: on day one of our uh, mission journey.
0: Yeah. There and... In Provo.
1: and then we went to the same exact mission, uh-huh. Barcelona, Spain. I think we can all agree that is e- easily the best mission in in no. the entire world.
2: We can, and this might be a good point to issue a disclosure. Yes, I've known the mounts for a long time, and uh, even though of course they are prominent podcasters, and we're going to talk about <laughs> prominent stuff, but but um, yeah, I've uh, I have a little skin in the game. So uh, yeah, I-, I was not in the MTC with them. I was older, as we say, in the mission by a little bit. But um, Alan and I actually were in the same. I was a zone leader once. We shared an apartment yep. for a while. That's so. Right. So we've known each other for a long time. I believe I actually went to your wedding. I was thinking about that today. I was yes, there, man. You, you did.
1: You did. I was you, there. You also helped this romance blossom.
0: Oh yeah, Jeff, do you remember this? Because I
1: told you not to date Katie the Catholic?
0: Oh. No. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's
1: probably part of it.
0: Um no, do you remember so um Sister Dixon and I we went to California.
2: Ah, the long lost sister Dixon. Yes. Yes, yes.
0: yes. yes. And um, so this is a, actually a really cool story. We are at this Anaheim Angels game, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and, this. and 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 um, Andrea and I are walking up the stairs in some random section because we're there with my cousin at the game, and we hear this like sister new sister Dixon, and it's Jeff sitting. I don't know how far you were close to I, I was to like us. a
2: section over from you guys. It was nothing.
0: So, yeah. And, no. and then he asked us, hey, are you going to Elder Mount's homecoming? And we wanted to, but we didn't have a ride up. And you were like, yeah, I'll take you up. And I think that there may have been some ulterior motive there. I don't know what, but I'm in, just kidding. In
2: my defense, in the MTC, everyone did think Sister Dixon and I were going to get married after the mission. <laughs> that was a this common was belief. Chance. But, you know, it worked out for me. I'm Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, you did. <laughs>
2: Worked out for me, too. So, thank thank you for all I was planning on going up there either way, and I was happy to... That
0: it was, was awesome. And, it was the whole so. reason why Alan and I like started talking after the mission is because you took us up, and we went to his homecoming... And that was awesome. Yeah.
1: So I got back in May 2004, mm-hmm. and uh, Katie and I pretty quickly identified an attraction between the two of us.
2: Okay, hold on. Let's back up a second. That attraction was identified when we were still on the mission field, and we all knew it, but continue <laughs> Yes, as it you're were. right. It
1: is. It was. Okay. Uh, I was trying to breeze past that, but there was, there was something there. You didn't do there. anything wrong. I, I, you were fine. No, I, yeah, I, I we, mean... we obeyed all rules Go. other okay, than maybe... On. Our, our our hearts didn't have quite a padlock. It was more like a really easy bike <laughs> lock that's easy to pick. You know, it was one of those locks because it, it was like it it a fell it off from a, time to time.
2: Yeah, sure. It was a bad ga- <laughs> it was a bad gate latch where if you pushed on it hard enough, there you go. Open. That's right. One
1: of those. There you but go. then you know there was a dog behind the gate and it scared you, so you closed the gate pretty quickly. And his hey, name? Hey, We're going hey, really President. far. We're going really far with this analogy. Yeah. I okay. like this. Uh Yeah. So uh, anyway. Uh, there, there was something there. If I knew that on the mission, if something was going to happen with a sister, it was going to be sister new, and it did. It happened. Um, we were married six months after I got back in May of two. Excuse me, December, December. of two thousand fourteen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Two thousand four. Ugh. Wow. Numbers. <laughs> um, and it's been it's been probably eleven happy years since, and three years kind of smushed in there that wasn't so great.
0: It's so funny because when old people, when I got married, old people would be like, you'll have good years and bad years. And I was like, what the heck are they talking about? And now I look back and I'm like, yeah, there were definitely mm. certain years that I could pick out that were not great years, but things are going good this year.
1: Right? Yeah. Well, it's a young year. We're still, we're still only two months in. <laughs> <I'm> still 10 <laughs> months left. Don't worry. Oh,
0: you're so optimistic.
2: Um. So just, just out of curiosity, what, what what attracted you guys to one another, though? What, may, what made this come together? Katie has delicious lips.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a good thing this isn't a video interview a, that like you all TV TV can see, because that'd be pretty Podcast. embarrassing. Uh, I think that we just got along really well. We were really good friends.
1: Katie likes to say that she she's the oldest of, of eight uh, siblings, so she likes to boss around. I'm the youngest of six siblings, so I like to be bossed.
0: Or you're used to okay. being bossed. I'm, maybe
1: I'm used to being bossed. Uh-huh. Maybe I don't uh-huh. like it, mm-hmm. but I think that that fits pretty well. Yeah, it does. I think that's a good match.
0: I'm like a I'm like a super like I like things a certain way, and I have my schedule, and I want to know exactly what's going on. And Alan's like the free spirited, yellow, happy personality, so it's a good balance.
1: Yeah, we push each other to <clears throat> we fill each other's weaknesses. Really, right? Yeah. And there's buttons that we, that that causes people to, you know, we push each other's buttons at times, not on purpose, but, um,
2: yeah. It's, so you're like, you're not unlike many other married
1: couples. So we're a normal right? married couple, right? <laughs> well, yeah. one would, right? One would help. There's a physical uh, attraction, which we don't need to get into the specifics of, but there are you, well, you there already are said physical that attributes she that lips. I enjoy. You crossed
2: that yes. line, man. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um. So, of course, where we're at today, um, you guys are in a bit of a different place than you were a handful of years ago, uh, as far as your relationships with the church and with each other. And like you said, I'm sure some of those hard years you referenced might have been interspersed in the past couple of years, I'm guessing, on that one. Uh, but before we get to that, what sort of environment were you raised in? You were both raised in the church, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So what was that environment like for each of you? How Anything jump out anything distinctive or how was it
0: so i'll start um i am grew up in a really really um traditional mormon home um i don't i we weren't so far left or so far right but somewhere somewhere um in the middle uh my parents um they were in the temple i've the, i'm the oldest of eight siblings and so I had the traditional role of being the good example, and I was a good example. I like literally, um, always did the right thing. And I don't want to say that to like be boastful, but <laughs> I'm just saying that like there was a lot of pressure on me to, to be like to a fast. really good example. <laughs> really? So I never, I never really did anything wrong. Um, I loved, I loved church. I loved seminary. I was like, super outgoing and I really loved um, getting into church activities and being like, I I liked more than anything, the um, community that came with that. And so my parents um, were really, what's the word? Orthodox? Orthodox. Yeah, that's a good word. My parents are super Orthodox. Uh, My dad is born and raised in Tonga. And my mom's from Utah. And so, like, I've got... uh Polynesians just have like a lot of spiritual stuff that happens Ugh. and like dreams. The and... Holy Ghost
1: just, just hangs over the eyes.
0: It does. It just islands. drips from them. And yeah, um, every
1: bite of rice and pork. <laughs>
0: that's
1: right. The spirit is increased in
0: the Polynesian culture. Well, could, could you
2: define Orthodox though? What do you mean by that when you say um,
0: I would. That's a good question. So to me, in my home, um, everything was happened for a reason. God always um either blessed you or you always were punished because of your actions
1: very letter um, of the law
0: very letter of the law um and there was a reason for everything you know if I got a bad grade, well, you didn't study and you didn't pray before the test that sort of thing um okay. very traditional home where we were having had family home evening, we had scripture study. Um, we were very picky about the PG-13 movies that my parents would let us watch. Um, I mean, down to the boys that we dated, it was very, um, well, you wouldn't do this because that's not the right way to do it. Very traditional. I think
1: traditional is probably a better word for it. Traditional is a better word for it. Because I think a lot of families would fit that description.
0: Right. So I I would say a traditional Mormon home, which I think I said before, but, um... And I mean, currently, I've got all my siblings except for two are married in the temple and are completely 100% in the church. And I've got two siblings who are one at BYU, one at BYU, Idaho. So everyone's in, they're all in, um, faith wise.
1: Yeah. yeah. And Ellen, what's your background? So I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, both my parents are converts, actually. Uh, my dad. Uh, his, his ancestry does have roots in pioneer land. (laughs) That doesn't make sense, but, uh, uh, he is of pioneer pilgrim stock, but uh, he didn't know that until he was 12 Mm. years old and his little league coach knocked on his door and said, I'm your home teacher. And he said, what's that? And he learned about the church to ask his parents. He said, Oh yeah, we forgot to tell you we're, we're Mormon. And he was, he was baptized at that, at that age. Um, my mother, probably about 10 to 12 years after that, met my father and very quickly baptized and they got married in the Los Angeles temple. I'm the youngest of six siblings. All five of my older siblings were married in the Los Angeles temple and we were married in the Salt Lake temple. So already I was the black sheep just in (laughs) by temple standards. Uh, but, but growing up, we, we weren't as. Uh, traditional or orthodox, I think, as as Katie's family, but we were very LDS. We were very much—you never miss a Sunday. If we went on vacation, we didn't seek out a church to go to uh, while we were gone. And your family probably would, mm-hmm. uh, but we weren't. We wouldn't go out to eat. We would uh, minimize the—you know—try not to buy gas if we were traveling on Sundays. Those types of things. Yeah. Um, it, growing up in high school, I. I played volleyball, and in order to get seen by colleges, you had to play club volleyball. And my mom always called that Satan's sport, because practices were on Monday, Wednesday, and tournaments were on Sunday. So it just ripped mutual, which doesn't exist anymore by that <laughs> name at least. Family
0: home evening. Mutual,
1: family home evening, and church was ripped out of your life while, while club volleyball was going on. So, I mean, it was the church was absolutely... A part of my life, I I loved growing up as a minority Mormon in California. I thought yeah. it was awesome, right, Jeff? I'm not sure if you had I, the, I same, had the experience. same
2: experience. I mean, looking at hindsight, there were a, a, a decent number of Mormon kids growing up, but you know, it was fine. Like mutual felt like we had you know three separate quorums, and we had enough members in our ward for that. But at high school, I mean, yeah, there was like a handful of us, but it, didn't, yeah. it wasn't this big thing. Yeah. But it's but it's just what you know growing up. So yeah, I kind of liked it too, I guess. I was just a Mormon kid. I had my Mormon friends. I had my other non-Mormon friends. And
1: that was life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I felt the same way. I, I loved being the <clears throat> one of probably 15 out of 2,000 students in my high school of active LDS. And um probably because I'm the youngest and I just starved was starved for attention. And to this day, I, I like to be on stage and and center of attention, I really liked and flaunted the fact that I was LDS. I really, I thought that was a cool part of my life. Um, really, nothing spectacular as far as uh, my childhood. Um, when I was sixteen, I prayed about the Book of Mormon and felt like I had got that witness. So I mean, I was in, and uh, yeah. uh, was not as perfect as Katie. I, <laughs> I, I, um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my youth a few times. <laughs> I think is the the PG way of putting it. But uh, your typical youth stuff that we had, but even in, like things within my family to set up um, some of the conversations that Katie and I had to work with once we got married. Uh, in my family, on Sundays, you did not watch TV. You did not watch movies. But you watch But you could watch the Lakers. You
0: watch the Lakers.
1: You could watch the Lakers, and if the Dodgers were on and it was the playoffs, we could we could pull that off too. So like sports as a family. <laughs> we was...
2: know the Dodgers were never in the playoffs. When <laughs> I
1: know when we were growing up. Yeah, that never happened when we were growing up. Okay. After after six years old, that uh, there was a drought. Yeah, but... but in
0: my family, you could only watch movies, and you were never allowed to watch sports on Sunday. But you could watch a family movie together. So that was probably one of our first little tiffs yeah being married is like wait we're not watching basketball and he's like we're not watching a movie and um now we watch both so
1: (laughs) now we do it it all uh yeah you know and as far as like a mission goes and i think maybe this is probably the last little part of just my growing up but it was never a question for me of am i gonna go on a mission or am i not i would i just always knew i was going um and for me, I'm not saying that derogatorily either. I'm not saying like I didn't have a choice. I just always had this expectation for myself of you're going to be a missionary. I saw what it meant with my with my older brothers. Uh, one of my sisters also served a mission, and I saw that it was an extremely positive experience for them. And I wanted to have, I wanted that too, and I got it. Only Mount Child to go foreign country. So well, take that, older siblings. Only the truest of the faithful. Get to Look at you
0: now! <laughs> For foreign... no, shut up.
1: <laughs> well, well done. Congratulations
2: on that one, uh, Katie. Did you always want to serve a mission? Incidentally, or did, did you...
0: um, that's actually a good question. I remember I got this like patriarchal bussing, and it said in it that I would go on a mission, but and you were, like, I had dated. I know I was like I had dated a few different guys um out of at a in college, and I thought well like maybe my mission is to like you know, do something in the ward, or I always thought that it was, it was meant something else. And then I got a job um, teaching English in Ecuador. And it was going to coincide about the same time that I was turning 21. And I had to make a decision. And my dad's like, well, do you want to teach people English? Or do you want to teach people the life altering gospel? (laughs) Adamic. How could I, how could I say no to that?
1: Or English? <laughs> yeah.
0: So I, so I, I prayed on it and, um, actually had some really cool experiences with that and decided that it was the right thing for me to go on a mission. And so decided to go and,
2: and I mean, as luck would have it, you probably taught a ton of Ecuadorians there.
0: Yeah, I actually like ended up teaching a ton of Equatorians and of our learning Spanish. That's pool.
2: right. Anyway, <laughs> um, so so now here we are in this day and age. And Alan, uh, you are no longer in the church. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, we could quabble, quabble over definitions yeah, sure. of what that means in the church not. But that's, that's a fair thing to say. Okay. Well, how would you say it differently? I mean, I don't want to put words in Um anymore. No,
0: that's right.
1: Yeah. I mean, if... if if someone was... Yeah, I, that's how I'd put it. I'm no longer in the church. Yeah, I think that's fair.
2: Okay. How recently did that happen?
1: Um, it's been a process over the last two years, about 26 months. January of 2017 is when it really heated up. Okay. So it, it was a process dating back about five years now.
2: Oh, that far. Okay. So what what started five years ago? What, what started you down? So, f- yeah, path. five
1: years ago... Um, my, my, I think the, the, if you were going to point at a moment that, that was a catalyst to everything happening,
2: Sure,
1: I yeah. would point to uh, my father, uh, passed away in a, a drunk driving accident. He was mm-hmm. not the drunk one. He was struck by a drunk driver. And, uh, that was a clearly very difficult moment for, <clears throat> for our family. Um, but in the months, you know, if you've had someone very close to you pass, The, the hard part, the hardest part, I should say, is not the month or so afterwards, because in the, in the immediate aftermath of the, of the accident, you get a lot of support from both family, you know, you're, you're there figuring out funeral arrangements. You're, you're at the funeral with everyone's bombarding you with love and support and prayers and you're with your family. And so you're actually very buoyed up, but then everyone kind of goes on with their lives as you would expect they have to. And you're kind of left in the in the dust to really figure out, man, what does this even mean? And I remember having a conversation driving southbound on I-15, talking to my mom on the phone and mentioning to her, like, I don't feel dad, like, at all. Like, he feels gone, like, very permanently gone. And she said, I know. And it's, I feel the same way and I hate it. It's really difficult. Um... I just that that moment stands out for me. At the time that that happened, um, I had just been called as Elderscorn president, and literally the last text that I have from my father, uh, just a couple of days before his accident, was me telling him I got called to be Elderscorn president, and his response back, because the church was everything to him, his response back was, "I'm so proud of you." You're, you we have this inside joke in our amongst the boys of you've you've grabbed the rock and that's kind of that's a uh, like you've synonymous hit the pinnacle for, yeah like yeah. you're 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 holding on to the iron rod like that's our kind of mount slang for you're holding on to the iron rod you've grabbed the rock and um i'm and I, you're going to do great things like that's the last thing that i got from my dad so they actually had to delay setting me apart <clears throat> for me to go out to georgia and be with my my family and then um afterwards uh, as the dust settled, I got into my calling, really enjoyed it served for three years, but in the, in the six to eight months or so after my dad's passing, I was dealing with that grief. And then also just started noticing things about being in elders quorum presidency that were unexpected. So in ward council, feeling like these are, we're a group of people, including myself included that are trying to do our best, uh, But I'm seeing certain leaders or certain people making certain decisions and just going like, I don't I don't see inspiration in this. I just see like we're just a bunch of nice people trying to do what we can. And and I don't know if it was because of where I was at or because uh, of what was happening in front of me. It was a combination of both. I imagine that that was a second crack in my shelf of seeing how award runs behind the scenes, uh, whether that's a fair, a fair thing to have a problem with or not. It, it, it was difficult for me. I'll take a breath. See if you have any questions so far.
2: <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, I, I've, <laughs> I've been in similar, you and our, we were, I think, elders corn presidents then concurrently. So exciting times, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you see, you see all the same stuff. Yeah. I have a different opinion of that than you. I mean, I saw people sure. make plenty of decisions that are based on the foibles of mortality
1: and all kinds of stuff, but I just usually shrug it off like, whatever, that's what they're thinking.
2: (laughs) It's it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I get it.
1: No, and even in hindsight, I look back and I I don't think it's... I'm sorry, I'm going to clear my throat one last really big time so you don't have to keep editing me out clearing my throat. Ready, everyone? Let me drink some gaseosa.
2: Oh, sick. That's...
1: (laughs) Yeah, he told me about the Soda Stream.
2: Oh, it's Very so.
0: Cool. I mean, I'm glad he liked the present, but <clears throat> nasty. You might as well just pull out a Vichy Catalan right now.
1: <laughs> Dude, they sell Vici it at Catalan. some restaurants <laughs> out here. It's from a spring. It comes like carbonated from the earth, it's right anyway. out of the ground. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so, I even looking back now, I I'm not pointing at either the experience of my father passing or my experience as a ward council as like this is evidence that. The church is what it claims to be, because that's, it's not, for me, that was more of a springboard of yeah. what, what opened my, my mind and heart to some other possibilities. So what happened, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of breeze through it and you can ask questions if you'd like, but, uh, it was in 2014, I don't know the month, but sometime in 2014, um, I, don't even remember how I got a hold of them, but I got a hold of the gospel topic essays on LDS.org. And I well, read, a, they, were,
2: a, they were just coming out that year,
1: right? They, they were just coming out. Right there, yeah. So I read a, a couple of them and a couple of the things that I learned it freaked me out. Just, there were things that I didn't know. There were things that I had felt, um, I had felt what I interpreted as the spirit confirming to me that the things that I was learning were not true. And so I had a lot of cognitive dissonance and it, it scared me. So which,
2: I uh, can, can I, can I ask you which things these were? In,
1: oh, sure. Specifically? The the first thing was, was Joseph's practice of polygamy. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about it, especially the details, but I think it's pretty crazy to, to think that a lot of people hear this story and go, what, how did you not know that? But I didn't know before reading the gospel topic, I say that Joseph had any wife, but Emma. Yeah. Um, and I had had experiences talking about Joseph and Emma being the only one that anyway, a, a number of experiences that led me to believe that spiritually that was not true. So that was a very difficult pill for me to swallow. And in that moment, I shut it off, <clears throat> dropped them, walked out to Katie, who was in the other room. We Hold sat on, on the couch. Go ahead.
0: Feeding a brand new baby. I just (laughs) had a baby.
1: And I come out and I say, oh my gosh. And I'm I'm freaking out. I'm like, did you know this? And did you know this? And Katie, what does it mean if this is true? And I thought that he only did this. And what about that? And Katie's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And uh, one of the first things that she said to me was, if you leave the church, I'm going to divorce you. And... Uh,
0: I don't remember this.
1: <laughs> we, yeah, I do. But <laughs>
0: Here's the thing. I, I mean, I had just freaking... I was sleep-deprived. I'm not going to make excuses for myself. But I honestly like do not remember this conversation at all.
1: Well, um, I think it was a very brief conversation because as soon as this happened, I went, well, I'm not willing to risk all of that for th- something like this. So in my mind, I just said, up on the shelf it goes. I'm not I'm not going to yeah. think about any of this. Department and I doubled down that. and and started serving hard in Elder's quorum. I look back at that time as Elder's quorum president and absolutely love it. I have you I can still talk in testimony terms. I have such a strong testimony of home teaching and the power of home Sorry, teaching.
2: Sorry. They got rid of it.
1: Well, I know. I don't know if you've heard but it's gone. By the way, minister I know more about <laughs> Mormonism, which I know I'm not supposed to say that word. I know more about Mormonism now than I ever did. Like I, one of those, right. So I've got my finger on the pulse for sure. But uh, I have a very strong testimony of ministering then I'll say. (laughs) Um, uh, I absolutely loved it. You can change lives by loving people the right way you're supposed to love. For sure. And so, um,
0: so some, I'll say this, some of the things that happened like um, while Alan was pushing down all these feelings. And I thought that Alan hadn't really dealt with the death of his dad, like, well, Mm -hmm. because he never talked about him. He never wanted to look at pictures or bring up the subject. And so I felt like he hadn't completely gone through the grieving process. And so some of these, like, things that he was talking about with church, I thought that maybe... It had, it was, it correlated together. He couldn't feel his dad. Well, he hadn't grieved all the way through it. And so if maybe if he went to a counselor or a doctor to talk through some of these feelings, he would feel better. And so that's what he did. He, um, I made him some appointments to see different doctors to see because he was having like, for the first time ever, anxiety and like panic attacks, things that I had never seen him have, they were physically manifesting. And it was all because of this inner turmoil he was going through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, and I thought it had all to do with, with his dad.
1: And I'm I'm sure that was a big part of it too. Right.
0: Right. <clears throat> and so.
1: Wasn't the only thing going on though, right? He
0: tried going to um, a few different doctors, which, The
1: first, yeah, the (laughs) the first visit I went to, the doctor was great. And he said, it looks like you got some mild anxiety, mild depression. I'll give you some medication, but it got worse. And I don't know if it was because of the medication or not, but it got worse. Uh, I went back to that same doctor and, and he treated me like I was, I was nuts. So, uh, the second that I went to the doctor, the second time he treated me like I was, I, he literally made me feel like I was crazy. He kind of brushed off what I was telling him was happening; that things had gotten worse.
0: He was condescending.
1: He was condescending. That's a good word for it. So I, I went home and I said, "I'm never going back. I'm never going to this doctor or any doctor. I'm just going to work on this on my own." I right. dealt for about a year and a half. I dealt with with some
0: panic attacks, panic attacks,
1: and depression and anxiety.
0: And then, um, like your heart, you would have heart palpitations, and I so did we have got to, heart like stuff. I don't know his if that's related or not. Checked but- out and. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, I so I
1: started, uh, losing hair and <laughs> all of the, all of the physical attributes you're seeing that you don't like is all because of this. Before <laughs> that, I was a wonderful specimen of physical beauty.
2: Listeners, I just want you to know, he used to take pictures on his mission of his hair loss at different stages <laughs> right. to see if it was tracking or not. So,
1: <laughs> well, it's certainly he... <laughs> not tracking anymore. I should pull those pictures out now because I've, I've thinned out quite a bit. So, but, uh, such, um, such as mortality.
2: So so you had a lot of these experiences and of course and you're dealing with all this anxiety. Um, now, now Katie, do you remember a time then, if you don't remember that first instance when Alan actually came to you and said, Look, this church stuff's freaking me out? Or do you not remember that and then he then he pushed it away and it was way farther down the line after dealing with with this. It was,
0: it
1: kind of came it was way before. farther down the line.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's a good question. It was much further down the line. We had moved into a new neighborhood, new house. And um, it wasn't until we moved into our new neighborhood that he expressed like how difficult the church stuff was like on him. And that's when he first actually admitted to me that he had been doing all this research. Because and- I hadn't, I didn't know that you were doing research.
1: Yeah. Alan,
2: was that, since you'd moved, were you in a new war now? So you were no longer Elder Scorn president? Did you feel kind of like right. li- liberated mm-hmm. in that sense? And now you felt I like was
1: liberated from anymore. that calling in that but sense. You... And then, of course, within three weeks of moving into the new ward, I got called into the Elder Scorn presidency.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> then I got called to be the primary president. And I still am. Right. Actually.
2: So, yeah. so, Katie, how did you, um, so when Alan first came to you with this and then you actually remember it, I mean, how did you, how did you feel in that moment? What were you experiencing?
0: So I think that's interesting because um where I initially freaked out at him, um like he said before, which I don't remember. I do remember the, the next show. conver the next conversation.
1: She's not denying it. She just and I'm
0: not denying, it. I just don't remember it. Um I do remember that it was we were in the car.
1: Yeah, in the driveway. In the
0: driveway, and he told me, like, Katie, I've I've read a few things that really, really bother me. And now, like, I've, I saw him for like two years go through all these, like, anxiety, um, and panic attacks, all these things that mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly where they were coming from. And, and he says to me, I think that so much of this is coming from what I've learned about the church. And so he said, I really want to do some more research to understand if I'm just playing wrong about some of these things, or if I'm right, or where, where it actually is. And I said, I completely had a peaceful feeling. And I said, you know, I have complete peace, I feel completely at peace, that whatever you learn, it's gonna work out. Everything will work out the way it's supposed to. And, you remember and my response in to my that. mind, I, I, I thought in the back of my mind, oh, it's because he'll he'll do the research. He'll talk to the right people. And it'll all be true. And he won't have any other problems with it. The end. You know, case solved. And then Alan said to me.
1: Yeah, my response to her was, I absolutely agree. I agree that it's everything's going to be okay. But you need to know that I am absolutely going to go where I feel the truth leads me. And if that leads me away from the church that I'm willing to do that. And that's, that's, I'm finally to a point where I'm ready to do that. If, if I go into this and it all works out, I'll be stronger than ever. If I go into it and in it and I feel through prayer and research and study and talking to mission presidents, which I have talking to, Stake presidents and bishops, after all of that, if I come to the conclusion, the church is not what I thought it was, I no longer believe it's true, I'm going to come to that conclusion. So wherever the truth takes me, that's where I'm going to go.
0: Yeah, and it wouldn't, didn't seem to bother me because I felt so much peace about it that yeah. I thought, well, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and, and check it out. Um, but we made the fatal mistake of... Yeah, this is uh, the biggest... This is the biggest yeah. regret I think we have is that... Um, I said, yeah, go off and find your answers and talk to who you need to talk to and do your research. And so he spent hours and hours and hours doing this without any sort of communication with me. Mm. And I'm not, this isn't on him. Um, I think that uh, we just didn't know how to was do the it. the conversation
1: we had. It, right. it, it didn't cross either of our minds that maybe, maybe Katie should go on this journey with me. Maybe we should do this study together. It just didn't even cross our minds. Uh, I think because there's a lot of there's a lot of fear that's involved with some of these things because you're talking about a pretty serious thing. Yeah. Um, if the possibility is that you leave the church, that's the most serious of all things within the church. So it's uh, if anybody is listening here that that is right at that pin, right at the cusp. R- right at the cusp. They're looking over the edge mm. at studying about church history or whatever it is. If you're married, don't do it alone. Do it with your spouse. I'm not advocating for either direction, whether you stay in the church or not. that's not, That's besides the point. Do it with your spouse. It'll be difficult, and you have to take it slow. There's times we've talked to hundreds of couples, and all of them, the ones that have the healthiest relationship, and we've learned from them, and we have been trying to do this so much, is just... Give yourselves that space to have difficult conversations and then press pause. If one of you needs to tap out, say, I can't talk about this anymore. I need to take a break. Let it go. We took a three-month break from our podcast because we just wanted to live our lives. And our status with the church doesn't define who we are as a couple. And we wanted to remember that. And so we said, goodbye podcast. And we weren't sure if we were coming back, but we did. And we're, I'm glad we did. And I think you are, too. But whenever we need a break, we don't feel like we have to talk about this stuff if we don't have to.
0: Yeah. And and kind of backpedaling a little bit, after Alan had done a bunch of research, we really didn't talk about it for six more months. And it was a, a car trip out to his family's house in Georgia, where I all of a sudden heard some things like... Um, it wasn't until we went on our car trip that Alan said to me, well, I don't think Sarah should be baptized at the age of eight. I think she should be able to decide what age she gets to be baptized. And all of this was like, wait, what, where is this coming from? Mm. So he had developed ideas and opinions that were completely different from where they were six months before.
2: And you hadn't really talked about it. And we
0: hadn't talked process. about it. And so I felt like for quite a while I had to play catch up to him because now he's had hundreds of hours of time invested into this journey and I didn't know any of it. And so he was having to bring me up to speed, but if you can imagine with each wave of new opinion or new ideas that he has i'm listening to this and thinking where why in the world would you feel this way without having done the research or the or felt the same things that he did and so it was it was like a tsunami after tsunami hitting me and i just was trying to stay secure in whatever i could find or whatever i could do and it was it was just was really difficult and then also you know especially in a marriage um when you know when you like have a disagreement or you have a problem and you're trying to work through things mm-hmm. and you're trying to work it out and you don't really want to tell people about it because it's a hard thing to talk about first of all but second of all You want to wait till you're over that bridge to kind of look back and say, wow, we just overcame that. And then you can talk about it because it's hindsight. Um, You know, we didn't really have support through this time because um, we didn't talk about it with anybody. And so we were going about it all very alone.
1: It's a very secretive thing.
0: Yeah. um, There's a a lot of...
2: uh would you almost say embarrassment? Like it's a thing you don't necessarily
1: want yeah. to bring up in embarrassment, your social circle. Shame. Yeah. There's a
0: stigma yeah, I mean, about people who question. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've been All in those ward
1: councils and just Sunday school classes of talking about people that, that doubt or that have left and what is said about things about that. And, and so it's like, I don't want to be one of those people. And so you don't talk to anybody, not your parents, yeah. not your friends, not your ward members and not your spouse. And when, when you're, I mean, when you talk about the, the phrase that is most commonly used is going down the rabbit hole. When you go down the rabbit hole, that's all you can think about. And it absolutely just wraps its arms around you and you want to study everything. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult and it's mind-boggling and it's beautiful all at the same time. You're learning about things you never knew. You can't get enough. Like one of the misconceptions that a lot of people... um say uh, or things that you'll hear about those that that lose their faith first of all I don't even like that term but that's besides the point uh, yeah, but uh, I get it. Yeah. uh something that that people say is uh they're lazy they'll classify them as they never really believed or they they they're looking for an excuse to leave or they're just lazy they just
0: want to drink coffee they just want to drink or they just <laughs>
1: want to do this or that and does do those things happen absolutely but a lot of people, especially in the information age, the opposite of lazy is, is what you actually see. They are, and I'll speak personally. I mean, it was at least three to four hours every single day of reading and listening to podcasts and uh, talking to friends and talking to bishops. It was constant nonstop for about 18 months, right? I mean, it was ridiculous and how quickly you can go from all in to, oh my gosh, I, th- I think, I think I've been fooled. I think, I don't think this is true. It's, it's incredible how quickly it can happen.
0: And I mean, obviously I don't feel the same way as Alan does. Um, well, there are uh, things, yeah. Go well, ahead. I'll say, well, Let me how ask you that. Dare so, you.
2: Um, I yeah. mean, Katie, do you feel like you've played catch up as you said before on kind of Learning about these same things, I'm 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 assuming you were not well versed in these issues when Alan brought them to you up front. Is that a no? Correct assumption? So
0: yeah, as, you're you're totally so, right. So with as that. you've
2: learned about that, I'm assuming in the ensuing years, why why do you think that is? You you still believe? You still go to church? You still have? You're mm-hmm. you're you've learned more. You've experienced more stuff, but you're there, and Alan's chosen a different path. So yeah, I mean. That's a very interesting uh, dynamic. I mean, how, how is that for you? Why do you feel that you felt one way and he has felt the other? I'm sure you've pondered this many times. But.
1: And can I do an addendum to the question? Yes, speak for your woman. And is it as polar opposite as it seems on both sides? Hmm. Meaning... It doesn't have to be full non-belief and full belief. That's true. It's not as black and white as that. That's true. I guess yeah. it's easy to ask, like, why hasn't Katie gone down a similar road if she's experienced
2: this? Yeah, movie? sure. Yeah.
0: That's a fair question. So um, I so at first, I think it was baby steps with a lot of the things that Alan had read and learned about. And he would give them to me when I would ask, ask for them. My life was like crashing down everything that I had thought about. Oh, I've got a temple marriage and I've got perfect children and they weren't perfect. But, you know, it was just like the typical Mormon family. Um, All of that seemed to just disappear. And that was really hard because I had envisioned us going back to Barcelona and serving a mission. yeah, And just like doing all the things that you see yourself doing stepwise in the church oh when i get to this age and then when my kids marry in the temple and that i f- i felt um a lot of anger that that was taken away from me yeah. did, honestly at first did um, did you
2: like fall into a place where you felt like like your covenants were being taken from you like 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 your your long-term progression was contingent on someone else and that was being taken away i mean from i you? Th-
0: I think I thought that, um, for about a minute, but then, um, I'll say a really well-meaning family member sent me, sent me just a message and said, you know, your husband can't take you to the celestial kingdom anymore. And you really need to think about that and maybe make a hard decision. And what they were inferring is that I, I get divorced and I was really upset by this. And I, I went to my state president and talked to him about it. And he said, look, Katie, we don't know. We don't know anything. <laughs> we just don't know what's what's going to happen. And is your husband abusive? No. Is your husband? Does he support you? Yes. Um, he's like, I would never tell anybody to divorce their spouse over this. And that gave me a lot of peace. And I felt like um, that's. Something that could help me move forward. Mm. Um, I think that as the years have gone by and the more that I've learned about the church, I recognize there's a lot of gray, that it's not all black and white. I understand that I would, I would say that I'm more of a nuanced believer. I don't believe the exact way that I did before. And I don't see, um, the church as this shiny, sparkly thing. Um, I see it, uh, I see it riddled with problems and I think that that's true with any church. Honestly, I don't, I don't feel like it's unique to us. Um, I still feel a very strong relationship with God and the way that I, I feel comfortable worshiping, which is why I'm still at church and, um, I, when we first moved into the ward, when all of this was happening, I was called to be the primary president. And honestly, that was probably, it's been the best place for me because um, I feel safe there. And if I'm having a bad Sunday because Alan's not there and I'm upset, the kids don't care if I cry in front of them. And um, I found a lot of support there. And so, you know, learning a lot of these things that Alan has, and right, I mean, I haven't done Anywhere near the amount of study and um, in-depth discussions that Alan has had, I have not done that for myself. But um, I still have a strong, a strong testimony in a lot of the things the t- church teaches, and I just feel like it's a really good place for my kids too. And so I just cling to the things that I love about the church and some of those other things that I don't love I just let go of. Yeah. So I I don't and it's not just black and white. Um I I'm much more open and I think much more empathetic towards a lot of people who are just going through the same things cuz I can understand the pull both ways. You uh
2: you hit on your kids right there. Yeah. How is that now? Like do you have uh-huh. have you I mean, do your kid, what do your kids think of this, Once we are old enough? Do they understand what's happened here? Are there specific different actions you take to raising them now? Do they go to church? Uh, you mentioned, you know, Alan, you stepped away for a second, but that uh, you questioned whether your daughter should get baptized when she was eight, for example.
1: Um, oh, right, yeah. Yeah,
2: so, like, what do your kids think of all this? Do they understand it? Do you not want them to get baptized now when they're eight years old? Like, what do you, how's that changed the way
1: you parent? So my, my, older two. So there's a pretty big gap between the the pairs. So we've got four kids, 12, 11, six, and five. Mm -hmm. So we sat down in December. This is just a couple months ago with our two oldest and told them in short, um, daddy's not going to come to church anymore because he doesn't believe it anymore. And it's very hard for him to be there. Do you have any questions? And they didn't really have many questions.
0: So, okay. Let me back up because, um, one thing that we've been very conscious about with the kids is we've talked to them a lot about agency and choices. So, you know, dad watches rated right R movies or, well, I think we, we talked specifically a specific about a movie. horror movie.
2: Stephen King's.
0: It. Yeah. Yeah. It was it. Right. I was going to say, Alan you ease your way it.
2: in with the King speech. And, and, <laughs> and,
0: you know. Well, I actually did King's C- King speech. That was good. But, um, <laughs> but we talked about it and. Alan saw it and I didn't. And we said to the boys, look, um, Alan said, I don't feel bad when I watch it. I think it's a fun movie. I I really liked it. And I would watch it again. And I said, well, you know, for me, I hate horror movies. And I don't like the way they make me feel. And so because of that, I won't be watching it. And then we asked the boys, well, who's right in this situation? And it was our 11-year-old who said, well, neither of you are and we said, "Right, you know why?" And he's like, "Because it's your opinion." And and so um I think we've we've been laying groundwork for them for the, for the past year and a half. Yeah. So that when we got to the point where we said to them, "Guys, dad's decided that he cannot be at church anymore, and mom's decided that she wants to continue on and she wants to bring you guys to church also." um and that's our that's our opinions when they got to that point we had already laid some of that groundwork mm-hmm. so it wasn't out of the blue for them and honestly it i have been <laughs> concerned our oldest is hard and he says like i don't want to go to church and it worries me that the kids um will have a say in whether or not they will be able to. But I think Alan and I have come to an agreement about that. Um, Remind me. Well, (laughs) like if Jackson said, Dad, I don't want to go. I'm using my agency and I'm not going to church this week. Then Alan will prep him with, well, why why do you feel that way? And if he says, well, I'm tired, he's like, no, not good enough. Like if he's just being a
1: kid. that's not a great reason. Yeah,
0: or like it's boring. Well, yeah. that's not a good enough reason.
1: I mean, it's the same thing with like serving a mission, right? Katie said. Well, what's going to happen when it's time for Jackson to go on a mission, and and he comes to you and says, "Dad, I don't want to go on a mission," and I said, "Well, I'm going to have the same conversation with him. Well, wh- why do you feel this way? And let's bring your mom in and let's talk. You know, we haven't we have a, a not even an unspoken. It is a spoken. It's not written, but it's a spoken agreement that. Neither of us is going to pull the kids aside and be like, hey, your mom's not going to tell you this, but uh, the church is blah, 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 blah. And like, that's those conversations aren't going to happen. Yeah. You're not trying to so engage when,
2: in subterfuge
1: with your spouse. Exactly. Right. That's that's, it's not that's about warfare winning. and yeah, that's not going no, to happen. No, it's not. The other one, yeah. But if, if he comes to me and says, well, it's going to be really hard, I'm going to say, well, yeah, you're darn tooting it's going to be hard, but that's no reason not to go. Do you believe it? I, I'm fully comfortable having that conversation with him. If he comes to me and says, let me, I, sorry, excuse me. Let me finish that. That excuse. My reaction would be, it was super hard for me, but I got through it and I have nothing but great memories about my mission. Like I can help you with that. I can help you overcome that. If he comes to me and says, I don't want to go on my mission. Well, why not? Because I don't believe it's true. Well, now we're having a different conversation. He shouldn't go on a mission if he doesn't believe it's true. And if he wants, if Katie and, and, and I and have a conversation and he wants to try to fix that and he tries to strengthen his testimony and then that changes and he wants to go I'll support him both as a parent and financially whatever it comes down to but I would imagine that if he decides I don't believe this I'm going to go to college instead that the expectation on my side is that Katie would support him the same way no matter how difficult that would be
0: yeah And, um, honestly, to think about it, it's really hard to think like my kids wouldn't want that. Right. Um, but I would ultimately respect their decision. Um, but again, it's, it's so hard to talk about because we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, we just have to, we kind of just have to, um, deal with the things as they come and, and most recently it was Jackson, you know, getting the priesthood and that was a hard thing to deal with. And we got through it. And so, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what, what, what we'll do or where we'll be down the line, but we have decided, like Alan said, that we would do it together and neither of us will pull the other side.
1: Yeah. And I, I, what I, one point in, uh, before you ask another question here. <laughs> that I think is really important is Katie and I have gotten to a place where it's not easy, but gosh, dang, man.
0: (laughs) Another edit.
1: He hasn't resorted to swearing yet though. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I haven't gotten to casual swearing yet.
0: (laughs) Oh, geez.
1: You're not like the new Weezer album. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) I haven't even listened to it. Have you?
1: I will now. Um,
0: Wait, is Zara upstairs?
1: She's with the boys. Did you get home? Yeah, she's home. okay. So <clears throat> while it's not always easy, Katie and I have learned to, to understand it's not all about agreeing with each other. It's about believing when the other person says something's not working for them. It's about believing the person feels the way they feel. I don't have to agree with Katie's pain in the thought that Jackson may not serve a mission. I just have to believe her that that's painful. And she has to believe that it's equally as painful for me if he decides to serve a mission. Then that's a really difficult position to be in because no matter what happens, someone's going to be hurt. But the important thing for us is that we're going to be there for the other person. I don't relish in moments that hurt Katie. Katie had a really difficult uh, experience in the temple about six or seven months ago. Really difficult to the point of... Um, not just because I wasn't there, but there were things happening in the temple that, that bothered her. And someone may think that in my position, she would come home and talk to me about this and I would rejoice I'd be like, yes, the temple, she doesn't like it. This is great. She's coming over to my side. But I was, I was devastated because she was in so much pain and I don't want to, I don't want to, of course, don't want to be the cause of that pain, but I don't want to see her hurt. And so like, There's so many people that, especially in a mixed faith marriage, that's so, it's so tempting on either side to try to pull your spouse along with you. It does not work that way. It, It cannot work that way. It, our story is not done being written. We are open to every single outcome as we feel directed by God, as we feel directed by each other, whatever is best for us, we're going to do that could lead Katie out that could lead me back in. That could lead us to staying the way that we are for the rest of our lives. But the one thing that's not an option, we will be together. That's what's going to happen. We've made that choice. Yeah. And we're that's what the goal that we are working towards. I said that weird. Let me say it again. And that's the goal that we're working towards. I'm not
2: going to fix it in, in post. So. Dang it. <laughs> that's all it is. Uh, I know we're running out of time. I would like to ask you if you have a couple minutes yeah. What it's been like on like the church end, like the leadership end for one. I mean, how sure. was leadership you said you talked to your own bishop you've I'm sure had many interviews with various leaders and friends in the church. Uh, both not just how how was that for you, but what advice do you have for other people in similar positions in the church who might be talking to other individuals in your situation uh, and helping them them work through that? And then likewise, The other side of that, whether it's bad things leadership have done or just among the body politic of Latter-day Saints, if lessons learned on the bad side as well. Like, Alan, I don't know if you ever feel like people treat you like you have some kind of, you know, contagious disease. (laughs) You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Right. Um, Why
1: don't you start?
0: Yeah, I'll start. So I think it's interesting (laughs) being on my end because I'm the one in ward council. And my husband's the one that they're talking about. But they're not, because I'm because sitting in not. ward council. And so this it's an interesting dynamic. Um, when Alan decided for good to stop going, I felt like one of the reasons why we had not talked about it in ward councils is because I was sitting there. Mm-hmm. Which I think at the time it would have been really embarrassing and hard for me to talk about it. But once Alan had made the decision, and honestly, I felt I felt um, secure in where we were at. That's when I I was the one to bring it up in ward council, and I said to them, "Hey, just so you know, uh, this is where Alan is, and everything's going great with the two of us. But he's decided it's too difficult for him to come." And everyone kind of just like nodded their heads, and they were like, "Okay," and we moved on. But since then. Um, I've had a few people call me out in ward council, like in the middle of ward council and say, we just really want to know what we can do for the Mount family. And that's just like, come on, you know, like come and talk to me in person. Yeah, There's no reason to bring it up in front of everybody. And so I feel like that's really hard for me. And then sometimes I'll be slipped, um, talks or or different things and here's the thing we both have decided that everyone has our best interest at heart and so we give everyone the benefit of the doubt it doesn't matter if it's it's hurtful to us we just feel like you know what at least they are they are saying something because they care and that's more than what even friends would do when they don't say anything and so um we have been really lucky. I know a lot of people call it um, leader roulette, Leadership, where yeah. Yeah, yeah, where you just kind of you never know what you'll get. But we've been super blessed with an awesome bishop who, admittedly, said I really haven't dealt with this at all. So I think you need to go talk to the stake president. He didn't try and like handle it by himself, which was awesome. And I then felt,
1: I felt bad for him. Yeah, he just didn't know. I I was when I went to him, I was in a very difficult. Uh I mean I I can temper the anger but I was in a very passionate state.
2: You came storming in there and you're like let me tell you
1: about the Danites, sir. Oh yeah, hey, that's you. right. Don't you try to kill me. <laughs> um so I mean I feel bad for the bishop but he was very respectful. Uh this whole thing happened during the during right as Sam Young's per, uh, march on yeah. on Temple Square was happening right. and I was involved with that. And so I was meeting with my bishop and stake president about youth interviews and how can we do better. And they were both very great. They were not only, I don't want to use the word concede. They were not only, uh,
0: they were accommodating.
1: They're not only accommodating to me, but they also brought it up to the rest of the parents that had youth. And so it was, I very much felt heard. Um, My, I had a lot more conversations with the stake president, uh, probably (laughs) six or seven over the course of a little over a year. And we did get into the first few, uh, meetings we had, we did get into a number of the very specific issues. And we, I think, I think we both ended up getting to the point where we realized this is not doing any good. Like, I'm not going to convince him. He's not going to convince me. So I think one piece of advice I would give is don't go into the meeting with any assumptions. Uh, both good or bad. Do, do not assume that you're going to go in and be treated extremely, extremely kindly or extremely poorly because I, we've heard both. Mm-hmm. We've heard people be absolutely shredded for not really saying anything. And then there's people like me who have gone in guns ablazing, and been treated with nothing but love and respect. So I would just temper your expectations. And, and these, these men are, are trying to help. And, and the vast majority of cases they're they're trying to help they will listen and um you know I for a long time I wanted to after I got all the issues out of my system and talking with them it it turned into the conversation with my stake president turned into more how can we as a ward and as a stake be more open to having people like me attend church and actively participate in church and for purposes of time, I don't know that we have time to talk about very specifics here, but I know we got to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I can tell you a number of times I raised my hand and you'll just have to trust me what, at, at my word uh, that nothing I said was against any of the doctrines of the church. It was all just different perspectives. And the stake president agreed with me that nothing I was saying really should receive pushback it was just a different way of looking at things and the reaction that i got from members of our ward made it very clear that those thoughts were not welcome and so i worked with the stake president for quite some time to push for a space of more open conversation push for a space of more respectful conversation and i'd love to say it has a extremely happy ending but in my in my opinion at least where we're at. Um, and what, uh, what I've heard a lot of people say is that uh, our words, not ready for that. Um, Did- and, and really it's not up to me to, to force them to be okay with that. Yeah. If, if they want to worship in the way that they want to worship, who am I to go in and say, no, 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 you have to be okay with how I feel. And so it's, for me, I, I reached a point in, in the last couple of months where I said, okay, uh, I don't need to fight for this anymore. I'm just going to bow out. So I still feel like I wish that I, I wish that there was a space for me to attend and feel like it was a healthy experience for me and not detrimental for others. And if that is a situation that we're in, I'm I'm in, I'll, I'll be there. It's I'm not conceding that I agree with some of the things that I conclusively do not agree with. But I still find a lot of value in the church, and I think that there's a lot of great things about it. And wholehearted literal belief does, is not a necessity to worship. I'll end it do
2: there. You, do you feel um, re- do you feel bitterness? Like in hindsight, not just because of that, but just over your the course of your whole experience, has taken you where you are. Do you feel
1: bitterness towards the I church? I think I did, but not anymore. I mean, yeah. I don't. I you know. Just today, I posted, right before we started recording, I posted on Facebook uh, the following, <clears throat> Hey, post-Mormons, ex-Mormons, anti-Mormons, and non-believing Mormons, if the LDS Church does something good, it will not kill you or diminish your position to recognize that good thing. You don't have to find a way to criticize every single thing. If you want people to listen to your point of view, you have to set your ego aside and not find fault everywhere you look. There is absolutely no way I would have posted that a year ago. No way. Yeah. Um as you process through some of this stuff you you have to make a conscious choice to do it. You have to make a conscious choice of I'm going I'm I'm letting this go. I'm at where I'm at and I can recognize good. It's really helped Katie has really helped me recognize the things that she values and I believe that she values them and I don't want to destroy those things. So it it's for me it's kind of helped me to stop kicking against the pricks if you will. Mm-hmm of I'm trying to trying to force my local congregation to be something it doesn't want to be. That's not fair. And I'm not bitter about it.
0: Yeah. um, But I feel like I'm in a really unique position because I have a spouse who's out and I'm still in. So to be honest with you, I feel a little bit like I'm trying to fix things that I see that are wrong also. Mm -hmm. And because of like what, My calling is and because of what I have access to, I feel like I can do that. And I don't want to say like I'm a crusader, but there have been some some big things that have happened that I have fought for. And it was just because it was a culture thing. And I'm like, nope, I don't. It's still not right. We're gonna change it. And we did. And I feel like I made a difference. And so I'm still in because I still feel like I, there's some sort of positive influence that I can give to others or that I can um, help others realize in our and I she
1: she's not self-serving like I am so I'll just tell you in 20 seconds the the deacons who were at the very beginning of the year when the they changed it so that 11 yeah. year olds would be uh, advanced yeah. they they called out, the deacons, the, the new deacons, to be sustained, but they made no mention of the young women who were eleven, and that bothered Katie. And so she yep. brought it up to the bishop. That bothered me too. She brought it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. she brought it. It brought it a lot of people, and I'm very proud of her that she was the one that went and brought it up. She talked to the parents of the daughters, and they were hurt too. And so she went to the bishop, and to the bishop's credit, he said, "Let's do it." That's yeah. great. Let's do it. And so the next week they did it, and everyone was happy. No one complained. And it's just those types of things it's, that. Just those little, it's little things, things that, like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, cause, yeah. Like it, it matters. It yeah. matters to because, people because I get it. It's, when
2: you're advancing in the priesthood. Yes, it involves the ward ratifying it. And it does not involve that for young women advancement, but there's still like the symbol, you know, because we're trying to save time now in Sacramento, meaning it's 10 minutes shorter. Right. Yada, yada. yada. And I think that's. And, and these
1: are all. It's important to recognize to that that, yeah. that is likely the the extent of the reason why the young women aren't recognized is because it's a time saving thing. It has nothing to do with pushing them down and no, pull, it pushing men up. It's simply saying at all. by and
2: necessity. The young men
1: need right. to have this done in Sacrament.
2: But that said, with the optics of it, why don't you just say, "Hey, do we right. do we need the extra it, two minutes of a high counselor speaking?" The answer is always no.
1: <laughs> the answer is always or no. Or an
0: extra so, an yeah. extra verse of the hymn. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So in, in the same way that, like, my Facebook post said that you you don't have to always look for the bad and criticize. In the same exact way, members within the church. You don't always have to defend and always only find the good. If there are things that bother you, there is a right way that you can bring it up to your leaders. There's a right way to actually want to improve things from within as well.
0: Okay, here's one more piece of advice. (laughs) Um, So I have a really good friend, and they're in the opposite situation. She's out, and he's still in. And she said that um, she's never, ever in her life had this happen. But she said that when people see her husband, they come up, shake his hand, talk to him. And knowing that she's out, people don't even acknowledge she's there. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I think I've done the same thing. We have a lady in our ward, and her husband's not a member, but he's come to church activities. And there have been times where I've just addressed her, and I didn't address him. And I can see how hurtful that would be for someone who, one, isn't a member, two, is just maybe visiting, or three, is out of the church, um, to feel like you don't have a community anymore, that would be so hurtful to, to somebody. So like my advice is just to seek out, I mean, and maybe even make an extra effort. But if you know that there's a spouse that's out or that's, you know, semi-active, whatever it may be, like, make sure that you talk to that person because they're not invisible and they notice everything.
1: A lot of people, I think, don't say anything because of how awkward, awkward it is. They don't Mm -hmm. know what to say. Yeah. For for the person that's in my position, I think the best, the two best questions are, how are you doing? And without the hint of you, without the tone of you must be doing poorly, yeah. right? It's not, a, how are you doing? It's not that. It's, how are you? And the second is, like, can you tell me, I'd love to hear about why, why you feel this way. It's, that is the number. You need to give us a few minutes, okay? I love you. Okay. Give us a minute. Love you. <sighs> oh. Um uh, the question why is, is absolutely the most requested question for someone in my position and the least asked question from anybody in the church. I've had one person ask me in our ward, why? And I knew that that person wasn't asking because they sincerely wanted to know they wanted me back, Yeah. but I'm still extremely grateful for that person. And we had lunch for an hour and a half and he's two generations older than I am but we had a two and a half hour conversation at lunch, Panera, it was all right. And it was it was a, a great conversation though, right? There's a couple of people that have reached out in our ward that have expressed like, I'm so sorry you've been going through this, um, which is very much appreciated. And anybody that reaches out, like Katie said earlier, we're very, very happy. But if you know somebody that is in my position, yeah. it is so rare that someone asks, asks them, tell me why. So go and ask, ask them why. Don't be scared and say, look, I feel the way that I do. I would love to hear your story because for the most part, people are not going to be trying to, or they shouldn't at least be trying to convince you of like, oh, now's my opportunity. That's, that's never my intent when I talk to my friends about this.
2: In hindsight, because um, a lot of what you've talked about I, um, and I want to count, make sure not to couch this in language of that I am I am reaching in the way you're talking. But um, in hindsight, I feel like a lot of what you've talked about have been cultural things that have happened that have coincided with difficult life experiences, and those things can kind of all coalesce and and take you in different places. But do you feel like there's anything looking back now, Alan, that if it was different, might have prevented you prevented you from leaving or or would have kept you more in the church. You did mention, of course, I think if ward members were more accommodating to disparate points yeah, of view, it, but is there anything else beyond that that you think would still have you say, oh, you know, I'm an open-minded member, but I'm in, as opposed to
1: being out. Um, I Looking back, I do not, I do not, I mean, I'll, I'll be clear. Um, I I conclusively feel that the church's truth claims are false. And so from that perspective, looking back, I I do not feel like there was any moment where I looked at something the wrong way, or I researched something, or didn't pray hard enough. I I've, I truly feel as as much as I ever felt it was true, I feel it is not true now. But uh, so to your point, I mean, I I I I really <laughs> I tried hard for a year yeah. to 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 keep going to church every single week for all three hours. I, I was doing it for a year, feeling the way I do now, and I, I just hope and wish that there are wards out there and more wards will become this way that are accepting of people that, that don't accept the truth claims. I mean, it, you know, we say that visitors are welcome on the front of the church, and hopefully we mean it. Uh, I, I would still love to go. It is absolutely impossible for me to be there. It, it damages me spiritually. And which is the opposite experience of what you want on Sunday. so. I, and I
0: don't feel that way.
1: And she doesn't. And no. and I'm not arguing with her about, and she's not arguing with me. She trusts that that's how I feel. I trust that's how she feels, right? So when I look back at my experience, the the, the that was the long answer. The short answer is no. Yeah. I, I don't think that there's anything else I, I could have done differently. I know that family members of mine blame the drunk driver on me and a few of my siblings leaving the church. I don't. I, I, the the drunk driver is not why I feel the church is not what it claims to be. That she, it's not her fault. It may have been a catalyst, or it may have may have cracked uh, my foundation a little bit. But, um, yeah, I won't say it a third time. Huh. I, I I'm I'm holding back some of my vocabulary, but trying to be as direct as no, possible. You're good. Uh,
2: Katie, uh, parting moments. How, do you feel like you can look at all this and look at areas where you've been blessed because of this with Alan leaving the church?
0: Good yeah, question. that's a great question. Absolutely. Um, one time Alan asked me, um, how do you know that I love you? And I said, well, you know, in your actions and what you do um
1: how you treat the kids, the words
0: the words that you say to me, how you treat the kids, and he said, You know none of that, none of none of what you said has to do with me and what I believe about the church, and um, I think that there's been blessings and silver linings through all of this at the beginning. I felt a lot of peace that whatever outcome was going to happen was the right one. And I still feel that peace till this day, and so that tells me that even though we're on separate planes, um, we're both we're 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 with each other still. We're on different sides of the plane, and um, I'm doing what I feels right. He's doing what he feels is right, and really, um, one of the reasons why we made the podcast was because. For a year, I sat in darkness, and we weren't allowed to talk to anybody about it. We didn't feel like we could um, confide in what was happening. And to be honest, there's just not a whole lot of uh, resources out there for mixed-faith marriage. Because for so long, we believe that it has to be one way or the other. And it absolutely is probably easier being both in, right. but um, there are so many people with so many um, with their own story about how they're making it work. So um, I felt, I, I'll i say I felt inspired to start our marriage on tightrope podcast because I felt like there were enough people out there going through the same thing that they needed a voice and someone to listen to and someone to just talk through what what was happening to them. And um I count that as probably one of the biggest blessings of the outcome yeah. of all of this is we've been able to connect with so many more people. We've been able to go to dinner with them, hear them cry about all the hard things they were going through, see them to give get divorced, see them, um overcome a lot of challenges and um just really connect with those in the same boat and i i think ultimately that's what god puts us here for is just for all of us to be connected somehow and somehow through whatever trial you're going through, or whatever state you're in, um, when you can do that, it feels good, and it is self-serving for us because we get to talk to people in the same boat. But um, it's it's a huge blessing to us that we can that we can provide just someone to talk to. And it, it also seems yeah. that you're in
2: areas where uh, you guys seem like you've learned how to communicate with each other in more profound and open ways that perhaps you you might have thought you were doing before all this started happening <clears throat> but you learned yeah
1: this you... forces you to do yeah. it yeah i like i like it i mean we've already made that analogy of it's like a, a loved one dying uh but in a mixed faith marriage it's it's like um and i i, I do not want to say that this is exactly what it's like but imagine that your one of your children dies imagine that you have a, a you get laid off from your job that can absolutely destroy your marriage it it can destroy it. It could, the problem could be so hard. It could point and a magnifying glass at things that, that divide you. But if you overcome it, it also can, can force you to communicate, like you said, Jeff, in ways that you never knew you, you could, it forces you to bind together and identify why you actually love each other. And that my love for you has nothing to do with my religion. And and so it's, yeah. if you can overcome that devastation, because those situations that I just mentioned are, are awful, just super hard to overcome. But if you can, you're closer together because of it.
0: And throughout the journey, we both have said to each other, how is it that this has brought us closer together? I mean, it, it has in every way possible. And so I have gained much more compassion for others and I'm, I mean, the few things that I thought in the beginning were really bad, um, I just, I feel, I don't feel that way anymore about it. I feel like it's been a big blessing, so.
2: Katie and uh, Alan Mount host the podcast Marriage on a Tightrope, which you can find on various podcasts, podcast, sure you're on or any podcast, yeah. I mean, wherever you get your podcast, you can find it there. It's all over the place now.